the TKW podcast. I am Matt Spegley, and I'm joined tonight by my partner in Yankees misery, Kyle Maggio. Terrible day. Yesterday, maybe, last night was worse. It's maybe the worst day. And our other partner in non-Yankees fandom, Anthony Corbo. I'm a Yankees fan. I, 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 Are I, you I like? <laughs> I'm not. I grew up in a Yankees household, I should say. I don't, I don't really watch baseball. Okay, that's fair. I don't want to sell you short there, pal. I don't want I, to sell I, you short, but I haven't heard you talk no, any baseball. I, I haven't talked any baseball, and I thought I would get back into baseball at some point in my adult life, but I haven't started watching baseball again yet. The overall narrative and storyline and following of baseball is much more fun than yeah. the sport. I love the Yankees more than I love the sport. Of I can baseball. really only handle two sports at a time, too. Like I'm just I'm too devout of like a you. Knicks and Rangers fan, and if I want to have any hope for any sort of life outside of that. I really can't closely follow, you know, more than that. I gave up on football that's, altogether. That, that's and Yankees, I'm just like supporting from the sidelines. Well, that's why I don't pick yeah, up hockey. I understand to it. To be honest with you, because and it's not even, and, and I tell you every year, I tell you the same thing. I am very interested. I still, to this day, am shocked that the way people love football, that hockey is somehow not the most popular sport. It is like light speed football on ice skates with a super high degree of difficulty, like, cause with, you know, soccer, at least it's a gigantic net. You have to shoot in with a small goalie. This is, you know, a gigantic jo- a goalie taking up the entire net and you got to get it past him somehow. And people do because they're amazing at the sport. So it is a incredibly intriguing sport that I should pay very, very close attention to. And I'm, I don't know how it's fourth of the major it, three sports, uh, four sports here. I I, I get it, but it's I don't the only one, cause you it's know? the only one that you can't really like, play outside you like it's like professional ice hockey as it's played today and everything like that like you know it came around like sports have been around forever like mid you know mid 1800s whatever like how since organized sports started coming around and it's just like all those ones that's when like kind of baseball started and basketball was coming around and stuff like that and just like and you started getting like you know early iterations of football and stuff and that's yeah, hockey didn't have that uh, that birth until I feel like those ones are already established. It's not a great depression or recession I, sport, you know. People can't I afford suppose, it. I suppose, but at the same time, I, I get it. But at the same time, like football requires equipment. You can go play street football without it, right? But you could also go play street hockey. You can get some roller uh, skates on and get a stick and set up two garbage cans as, as the nets, and you call it a day. That's a that's a nice afternoon. So I I understand. But also, I I still don't quite understand if that makes sense. Like it makes sense enough, but something's so is that off. All that the, is that all the talking but, Yankees we're gonna do? Or yeah, that's our three minutes of talking Yankees. You guys just spent talking about hockey. So if you felt it was well spent, hey, I'm fine with it. <laughs> Gary Sanchez was five feet away from hitting a walk off grand slam, and it just died out. It was not meant to be. 
I'm still reeling, but you know, it's okay. It, it's just baseball. But the, but the thing is, I, I don't mind losing like they lost last night. Like I told you guys in the in the Slack chat, I went to the game on uh, Monday, and it was a just a debacle. It was what sixteen to one. It was it was just gross. Yes, um, it was sixteen to one. Yeah, I felt I felt you know gross when I was there. I felt gross when I left. I felt gross the next morning. So um, that was brutal. But that's that's how you would never want to lose. Like I, that, you feel helpless. At least here, like you get like that's why sports are fun. Was last night, despite it being a loss, like they scrapped back. They went down four nothing early. Then they started scrapping back. They clawed their way back into the game. It was four three. They're fighting in the bottom of the ninth. Gary has a great at bat. Like you know, he, he at least gets the sack fly in. Like it's these little things that like all right, you know, maybe there's a big moment here. And if there was a big moment, it would have been euphoric, and that's what you look forward to. And it just didn't happen, but at least they went down really scrapping and fighting last night. So it's not the, the result that you obviously would want, but um, I at least enjoyed the fight that I saw out of them last night, despite the very clear managerial gaffes that took place. But that's neither. Oh, no, 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 it's not Aaron's Bo- Aaron Boone's fault. You know whose fault it is. It's Giancarlo Stanton. They need to trade him. They need him out of New York. There it is. There's the hot New York takes. These are this the podcast. <laughs> this podcast was missing for a few years. I'm coming home. I don't feel this way. For the Matt I just want to make that clear. I'm coming home on the fan. Every I, person, Francis is that? like, they need to trade him. They have too many, They have too much power. You can't have Judge <laughs> and Stan on the same team. It's not possible. That's, that's the stupidest fucking thing. No, that of course it is. He's did, a four-way player this year. But did, let's just ship him off for nothing. Did you see the SNY article? It's just like, if you had to get rid of one of Odell Beckham Jr. or John Carlos Stanton, who would it Jesus be? Another Christ, what? Why would I have to choose? What, what the fuck are we talking about? These guys don't I, even understand, like... You don't want to lose the star player. What? What, what is? And then, and, and undoubtedly, there's going to be people who are listening to this podcast who go, who go, no, no, but really, John Carlos sucks. We got to get rid of him. <laughs> Let's just make one thing abundantly clear, and then we can move on. The Yankees probably don't make the wild card game without John Carlos Stanton holding down the fort the last couple of months. I understand Torres was great for us this season. I understand Andujar was great for us this season, but without. Giancarlo really holding down the middle of that lineup, there would be nothing. Judge got, Judge went down. Uh, Gary had a shit year, and he went down multiple times. Like without having somebody in there consistently, despite his little hot and cold streaks, there'd be nothing. Yeah, he we, was mostly we, terrible sure. in September, but before that, he had a stretch during the summer where right. he was. And he, and yeah, and he was terrible uh, in April too. And then it was pretty much May through August he had his his. I wouldn't say he was on fire, but that's when he actually picked it up, was consistent, uh, was really, really, really good. So they for sure don't have home field against the A's in the wild card if he doesn't do all that. And they possibly just miss the playoffs entirely if he doesn't do all that. So I I get it, but let's also just – we always do this. This, We do this with A-Rod. We do this with anybody who comes in and then there's big expectations. I don't know why. This is why people don't like the New York media. Let's just not be those guys. It's really just be reasonable about this. He had a good year. The Sox won 108 games. That's a pretty damn good team. That's like a historically good team. Let's just give it a break, guys. Like, it, it happens. I understand it's the Sox. I hate them, too. But just, we got to move on. Well, we go from the end of one season to the beginning of another. What a segue. With the Knicks. Thank you, man. Thank you. This is what I'm, I'm here for. Matt Francesa. Uh, exactly. Oh, no, Matt, exactly. Fran- uh, Matt I, Fran- Spendley. I like that better. That's yeah. definitely way better. 100% better. Really yeah, flows totally off the does. tongue. Matt Fran Spendley. <laughs> so let's talk about some 
David Fisdale comments that were made today to the media. Let's start there. So he made some comments about how the Knicks will use their G League team, and specifically in reference to the likes of Mitchell Robinson and Alonzo Trier. So for Robinson, he said that he's definitely going to spend some time in the G League, that he's going to get an opportunity to play more basketball, to spend some time there and just see what he can do, because he hasn't played much in an organized level. And Robinson, to his credit, took those comments in stride and said he wouldn't mind it. He said, wherever coach thinks I'd be best off. And he made the comment that Fisdale said, which was basically, I haven't played enough basketball to feel like I can jump in there and be successful right away. I'd like some more run. So we have that side of this. And then we also have what Fisdale said about Trier, which is that he doesn't exactly spend see him spending a lot of time in the G League, but he also understands that he's a two-way player. So what are our first reactions to these comments by Fisdale, and do we think that they'll turn out to be prophetic or just some general banter from a coach before the season begins? Uh, I don't want to look too far into the, <laughs> the the Robinson thing makes a lot of sense. That's what we speculated for, you know, since he was drafted and even after summer league and we had to throw the wet blanket on everybody saying he was going to be a starter since day one. But that's kind of what we expect. Like he needs to get run back. He needs to just get reps and his timing, because as we've noted so many times in this podcast, he has a lot of the instincts to go with his athleticism, but his timing is off. He's reaching for no reason. His body's just in the wrong place positioned and you know, you need to get those things figured out. There's nothing wrong with sending him down to the G League repeatedly to be able to get him those big minutes because he's not going to play more than, what, 10 or 15 minutes up at this level, right, in the present moment anyway. So there's, there's to me, there's no harm in that. The Trier thing was more interesting because we've sort of considered that being a possibility of him actually making the roster that requires somebody getting uh, waived. I think that is guaranteed, like, big, you know, the NBA-level deal, but... Um, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to refute what he's done so far. I mean, he's averaging damn near 20 points, if not more, um, in four games. I mean, that's, they gave him his opportunity and he's just torching it every time he gets it's, out there. It's so, funny. Cause somewhere like uh, along the same lines, I even look at his comments from uh, a couple of days ago when he was talking about a guaranteed contract. Uh, could be cut in order to make room on the roster if they're not playing up to performance or, you know, paraphrasing, but around that. Um, I think that comment was directly to Emmanuel Moutier. And so, like, I don't know, it's interesting to hear, you know, because pretty much I thought that comment meant that, like, we're going to keep Trier and cut Moutier if that's what's best for the team. Uh, so these are kind of, this is kind of like, I don't know, not necessarily in contract to that, but, you know. No, it- it, it's possible, though, because think of um, the comments that he said when they started him, right? So when they started him, they said, oh, well, you know, well, we need to get him going. Yeah, like that's that doesn't like you, you should you shouldn't be saying that about, you know, a player that has a guaranteed spot in your team in game right. three of the preseason. Like there's no need to get him going in game three. So and you know what not, happened the game after they said that what? he didn't play in the first half. He didn't play in the first yeah. half on Monday. He ended up playing 10 minutes overall, but he did not enter did the game in the, the fourth half. either? He played yeah, 10 I overall minutes. pretty much all came in the third quarter, which is just like, he's just, he's just in there in mop-up duty then. Yeah. And it, yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's what we, we've been hoping for. Like that makes the most sense. And that eliminates some of that, the log jam at, you know, the, uh, the point guard position or just the guard depth in general, because we were sitting here wondering, well, 
are they going to force feed Moutier these meaningless minutes to try to get him up and running when that, you know, those minutes could go to Frank, you know, and now to me, if you keep Trier on, and I don't think he's going to play big minutes despite the impressive preseason. Um, and I'm curious for Matt's loss on this, but now you basically have, let's say Moutier does get cut. Like we're, what we're speculating is true. And then you just have Burke, Timmy, you know, with Frank off the bench and, you know, and then Trier off the bench too. And then you'd have to, figure that Frank's going to fill in sort of that versatile role we've seen him play um, throughout the preseason. And he's going to play uh, a lot of minutes at the one, a lot of minutes at the two, and they're just going to let him kind of run it out and, and let him do his thing in both positions. And I, I really like that. He's probably going to play 28, 30 minutes a game, just interchanging positions, so to speak. And I think that would be fantastic. And if you eliminate Moutier, there's no force feeding. There's no, you have to play him or try him out before he's uh expire. So Matt, if you want to give your thoughts on that and the quotes. Here's the thing with the Knicks guard rotation, right? I think we still need to keep in mind that Courtney Lee is still going to be on this team. He hasn't played yet in the preseason and Fisdale and company have made it clear that they don't think Tim Hardaway and Courtney Lee are meant to play together, which means that in in the starting lineup, at least we could see them together in some units, but I, I deem it mostly unlikely for them to get any serious burn together. That's another aspect thrown in here, and it's another reason to potentially shift up this guard rotation. So you already have a lot of mouths to feed, as it is, and Moutier is the clear option this side of Ron Baker that you kind of know what he is at this point. Ron Baker is a hard worker. You know what he's going to do, blah, blah, blah. He's going to play some defense, whatever. Moutier, you don't have any long-term hopes for at this point. When you're talking about the other guys, though, Courtney Lee's a veteran. Freyberg is still a young guy that you want to see some more signs from, see if last year's skill set and what he was able to do is sustainable. We obviously know about the forays of Frank Nielakina. And then Tim Hardaway Jr. is going to be your leading scorer. And you have Trier. Trier, you don't know what he is yet. And he's shown a lot in the preseason. If you eliminate Moutier from this rotation, you immediately are able to get a longer look at guys that have more of an opportunity to provide something for this team in the future, which for a team that's going to be as bad as the Knicks will be this year, should always be the number one priority. Here's for an a interesting franchise. wrinkle, though. Uh, I don't think Courtney Lee's going to start the season. He he's he's held out of the whole yeah. preseason. He's got a neck injury. You know, like I know he's a veteran and he's going to get minutes. He you know he's going to play, but he might be kind of playing from behind in the rotation because they might be. You know, who knows how long this injury is going to be? It's a neck strain. That could last into, I don't know, it could last into November is what I'm saying. And then at that point, you have a rotation that's starting to get a little bit set. And that's possible. A healthy Courtney Lee is playing. This is that's very the true. thing we need to consider. If Courtney Lee is healthy, he's going to play 20 to 25 yeah, if, minutes if, on this team unless something Trier drastic happens. Do, do you think so through, you know, for like three weeks into the beginning of the season, big F, but if he is, you know, it just makes it all the more interesting. It's too big enough for me to rule out any normal Courtney Lee minutes. If Alonzo Trier is averaging 16 points after five games this year, I'd be shocked. I don't think That's we'll get those I've opportunities been, yeah. to play 20 minutes right off the bat, but we'll see what happens with Courtney Lee. We still have a week until the regular season begins. I don't think we've had many ways, many thoughts in terms of updates. He's been ruled out for the uh, Friday so. game, at least. I know that much. Right. He has. Yes, that is true. Do you think he has a next stream? Or do you think he has a neck strain? That's true. Why? What incentive do they have to not have him on this team? Because 
he's a guy that they should be look they should be looking to trade. That's so, what I mean. That's what that's what I'm alluding to. Like, do you think that they're trying to work on something really quietly? Because why remember, couldn't they be looking to trade him while he just yeah, plays basketball? I think you know, honestly, God, the only reason I say that is because teams have been weird sometimes about that. Like, teams will sit guys for that reason sometimes. So that's why you shouldn't pull it out. I don't. I don't think. I don't think that's the I reason. I mean, my my thought is just that he might be. But, you know, he might just not want to play in the preseason. He's yeah, you know, mid thirties at this point. Yeah, so that's also possible. We shouldn't I, rule anything out. But the Courtney Lee thing for is for him to get into the rotation if he comes back late from this injury. That's all. I just don't think that's the case because he's a veteran and they know exactly what he's going to bring. So as soon as he's in here, if he's been with the team and he's still learning the schemes, it, it's not going to be like oh let's give a guy like Courtney Lee that's been in the NBA for 10 years a chance to come from behind and learn. It's we know what this guy can do. Go out there, go play with these young guys and provide some shooting for us because that's what we have you here for. And, and, and before we go nuts with uh, trying to figure out rotations and where are all these minutes going to go, there was one other quote that we did forget about too that I just looked back at. Um, Fizdale did have a comment about the minutes. Do you guys remember that? It was yes. like It was like three days ago. And he said, Nobody, he's like, I don't want people to get hung up on who's going to play these minutes. He's like, nobody's going to play more than like 25, 30 minutes. So it seems like he kind of gets that there's a lot of hands in the pot here. And he's trying to let it, like he knows it's a, a developmental year. So he wants all the young guys to get all their run. But at the same time, it, it seems like he's alluding to, okay, well, we're going to have Courtney for a while. You know, like we got to, he's going to want to play. We have to let him play. If we have any chances of trading him, you know, as well, you got to play him, hopefully get his stock up. So that comment I found interesting too, because he's basically saying like, like normally an NBA star or a starter, somebody going to rely on, like, let's say like a Timmy to be your one option. You'd expect a guy to play how many minutes? 33, 34, right around there. Right. So for Fisdale to go, oh no, like 20, you know, like 28, 30, maybe like, to me, that was telling, too, where he's less like, and for me, that's encouraging for guys like Frank. So it doesn't sound like these guys are going to get buried on the bench. You know, it's everybody's going to kind of get their fair share to to go out and earn it. And again, we got to see what he actually does versus what he says, because there's also the keep what you kill quote that, you know, got hot. But um, I found that pretty interesting, too. Because that's a little bit different of a dynamic than what we normally see from a coaching staff, the yeah, way they handle I, the roster. I, I have a pretty strong feeling that very few players are going to break, like, 27 minutes on this team. Like, I, I think our top-tier players are probably going to end up around there. And then, like, just just to kind of balance it out, and because they just don't know who's going to be you know, sticking here for the long term, there's no reason to really play guys 35, 36 minutes. I don't think I'm buying it. I don't think I'm buying it. I think that Cantor and Hardaway will play over 30 minutes I per don't, game. I, I, Hardaway, I think, will be the closest. Cantor. Cantor, uh, I don't know. Go ahead. Who else is playing the center yeah, position? Yeah, I'm, I'm almost, the next I'm almost uh, totally opposite of what you just said. Ant. I almost think Cantor is the lock to play like 30, 35 minutes because he already said Robinson's going to spend a lot of time in the G League, right, or going back and forth. We don't expect him to play big minutes. Maybe he does, but I don't. nobody expects that. But then who else is going to play? I mean, unless they keep Vonley and play Vonley at the five. Just one thing to think about. Cantor played 26 minutes per game last year. So keep that in mind that that was a team he was starting on for every single game. And they had Kyle O'Quinn last year. The Knicks don't have a bench big 
that they can rely on like they did with Kyle O'Quinn, especially to begin the season. That's a good so point. while Cantor's a guy that, KP that can I'm not sure if at moments either, even yeah. Correct. So the bench guys you're looking at to play the bigs in these scenarios are Noah Vonley and Luke Cornette are basically your backup bigs. So you get to the point, then you're wondering what, where are these minutes? Where are these other center minutes going to come? Where are the other, if Cantor's only going to play 26 minutes, where are the other 22 center minutes coming from? So it's going to be interesting to follow, but I think with Hardaway too, I just think he'll play 30 minutes a game. Like I, I just think that he's a guy that they'll look to rely on, but that could change, especially if Courtney Lee comes back and especially if Trier starts to show out, I have no problem with them doling out minutes in plenty of other ways, but I also don't think you want to end up playing 11 rotation guys every night because the Knicks aren't good enough to do that. And you want to give your young guys a chance to coalesce with some of these lineups and feel a sense of continuity within the roster. Yeah, the last thing I was going to say about Cantor was um, I think that, and, you know, he's made his comments about he wants to stay here in New York, retire in New York. I think a lot of that's just showmanship because he's at his Cantor. But I think what we'll probably see is there's nobody to really fill the depth at that position. And they know it's kind of a lost year in terms of actually accomplishing anything uh, fruitful. So I think they also might do him a solid of, you know, hey, we're not going to resign you next year. Like we, we like what we have going on here. But you're going to fucking eat this season. Like you're just, you can get whatever you want, like average at, you know, 2010 the whole year. Like do what you got to do. Go get that bag somewhere else and just call it a day. Like we'll do you the salad. Like go handle your business out there. We'll give you all the reps that you need. Kind of that's kind of how I feel. Cause I don't see how anybody's going to really cut into what he could do. Given the touches, at least offensively and on the boards. Say what you want about his defense, and that's always valid, and that's always a big part of his position specifically. But, you know, if you can realistically force feed him a couple extra touches, I mean, he's going to average 20 and 10. I think he averaged 14 and 14 and 10 or 11 14 last and year. 11 last year. So, I, to me, you have no KP at the right next to him taking those touches in his same uh, right around where he would play in the court anyway. So, to me, it's like really not a stretch that he's going to get three or four extra looks a game like to me. And he's very efficient as we know down low too. So that's kind of my hunch, my early hunch. I bet his numbers look about the same as they yeah. did last year, but I could see, I could see him getting up to 17, 20 seems like a stretch. It, it's, it's in the realm. There's a universe in which that happens. I don't think it's, I this think, one. I mean, like I think Cantor is going to be able to get hot for a couple of points during the year. Uh, but I just, like, I, I, I don't see him having, I, I just, I don't know why I, I don't can't picture him being a more, you know, a higher minute player with that same kind of efficiency, you know? I just, I, it's I think defense. it probably has to do with his defense. I think it's just <laughs> like, you know, how, how many times in his career has he played over 30 minutes a game? He hasn't really been relied on in that role. Only before. once. Yeah, well, with Utah, he was a guy that they drafted high. So they wanted to see what he could be. So they gave him more of an opportunity to kind of prove himself. So he only had one. Actually, you know what? Even with that, I'm looking at his stats again. The one year where he got traded from Utah, he was playing 27 minutes in Utah and then went to 31 in OKC for 26 games. So he's never played over 30 minutes per game for a full season. The highest 28 and a half, which came during that year. 
So there's already been a ceiling kind of prescribed for him at this point in his career. But there's one guy we're also not mentioning, who's Kevin Knox, who not for nothing has played exactly 28 minutes in preseason play, which we need to consider that too, because he's another guy. They don't have a lot of enticing options at the wing that can score besides Hazoni off the bench, who hasn't looked great. And then whatever Courtney Lee can provide them. So I'm curious to see if that comment sticks, because I just don't know where a lot of these other minutes come from, specifically at the center position with Cantor. I'm really Really sad about yeah, his own email. So and it's, it, 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 no, no, it, yeah, I was gonna say, like, I'm not gonna sit here. It's not panic time by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, we've seen good moments from Knox. I mean, Knox has struggled the last couple of games now, but we've seen good moments at least, things to be excited about. You know, we've seen stuff from you know Robinson in the first couple of games. We see, we see everything from Trier, who's just in his bag perpetually so far, and it's like I keep waiting for more Hazonia stuff. All we really have is that uh, that break when he was coming down and he did the little fake dump off the cancer and then he laid it in with his left and that was really nice and I hope we see more remember of that. How, but he's just a, he's a really easy guy to root for. I just want, I want more. remember how hype you know? that 2015 draft was? Like, I remember sitting there and people talking about this thing like it was going to be one of the best big man draft of all time. It was one of the dra- the deepest drafts with tons of wings and point guards available. Let me read you the top 10 of this draft right now. Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell, Jaleel Okafor, Chris Stops, Mario Hazonia, Willie Cauley-Stein, Emmanuel Moutier, Stanley Johnson, Frank Kaminsky, Justice Winslow, and then you get Miles Turner, Trey Lyles, Devin Booker, Cameron Payne, Kelly Oubre Jr. I'd say the the last 10 probably has more talent than the uh, the last five is like as much talent as the top 10 has there. Well, Cat as the headliner was big. And you got to remember, this was right after Okafor won player of the NCAA tournament. He was he was like the Mark Madness guy because Duke won that year. And then D'Angelo Russell lit the world on fire at an Ohio State team that struggled to make noise in the NCAA tournament from his period until now. So I think it was the top tier that was a little more hyped. I don't know if the, the second half I'm just, was quite I'm as just a little bit. I'm just more surprised that the second half has panned out with far more success than that top 10 has. Well, you know, it's a real shame that, uh, that Ennis Cantor has turned into the Dominican Ennis Cantor. Matt Carl Anthony Towns has turned to the Dominic, uh, yeah, Dominican Ennis like, Cantor. How can Ennis Cantor turn into the Dominican Ennis Cantor? That simply is not possible. No, that is crazy. Sorry. Like, I, I mean, even with everything that's been uh, all the talk around Towns lately, too, it's just all all that back half kind of turned into solid rotation players at the very least. Rozier is right up there in that mix, too. And then... Uh, but Cat's still like... I know Cat is... You know, I know Cat. Like he's better by leaps and bounds. I know, but than yeah, you have Cat and you have Chris Stops in there, and then everyone else kind of has some pretty decent question marks about them. All right. Yeah. That's that's fair. Enough about that. I, I want to one more thing before we move into some other topics that we wanted to hit on, because I, I want to make sure we really hammer home a Mitchell Robinson point about him playing in the G League. So he said when asked about playing in the G League after Fizdo's comments. He said, quote, honestly, I feel like it could help a lot. 
sitting out a year of college, I could get a few extra runs in. So we said this before, and we mentioned this over the summer when people talked about what kind of lineups Robinson could be featured in, who should he play with, how much burn should he get at the NBA level off the bat. This was always the plan that made the most sense. Give him an opportunity. I bet his conditioning still is struggling. We've seen it sometimes in the NBA. He hasn't had to play that many minutes, and we know about his foul woes. We know all about that. Letting him play in the G League in a good Westchester program under an excellent G League head coach always made the most sense for this season, especially in the beginning of the year. The first half of the year, I'd say he'll spend over half his time with the Westchester Knicks, and there is not a single problem with that. By the way, he is healthy, so he'll be playing on Friday, which is good because we'll get another look at him. But we shouldn't have any concerns about him going to play in the G League. It shouldn't be a, oh, why would they do that? Why should he be doing that? He's an NBA talent. He's proven. That's fine. He's still young. He still needs to learn. Let him go figure it out. Yeah, and I was going to say, you know, a lot of people give the Knicks shit, rightfully, for ways that they botched development at the NBA level. And most of it is pretty just. They have botched a couple of pretty good prospects, but um, they do do the Westchester thing well, like you said. I mean, that's a really good system that they've utilized, and that's why they've been emphasizing it more and more. I'm sure, as everybody's noticed with uh, our frequent updates, they've been even doing right by the players down there to get them a little bit more money than they would have uh, previously been guaranteed. If basically by signing them and then waiving them and then having them go down to the G league. And then I think they have to stay with them for 60 days. They get a pay bump and it's pretty significant for what they were making prior. And, you know, they just seem to do a lot well at the G league level that I don't see a lot of other teams doing. Like, I feel like they really are utilizing um, all the different components of what the NBA had in mind with it. And that's really encouraging. And that's really encouraging with a new coaching staff at the NBA level who is, you know, they're touted as being developmental guys. So I'm really excited about uh, Fisdale kind of being on board with doing that. And I'm excited about Mitchell getting his run down there and being with that coaching staff. I think it's going to work wonders. For I just him. really like how uh, receptive he was to the whole thing. You know, he's and like just the way he talked about it too. He's like, wherever coach needs me to be, I'm apt to it. I'm apt to go. Uh, he's honestly, I feel like it would help a lot. Like, I, I, you know, he's probably well groomed to to say these things, and you know, he knew that this was going to be something that would happen anyway. But you know, he's not putting up a fight against it. I don't think he needs to be higher because he was projected to be a lottery pick once upon a time. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I I think that it's a great thing, and I think it ties into the Cantor point we were talking about, where Cantor will probably get thirty four, thirty five minutes a game in the early season. And then when Robinson starts getting more comfortable, he comes back onto the team. The minutes start evening out a little bit. Cantor dips back under that 30 a little bit. Robinson starts playing more minutes. And then, uh, you know, we, we see where we are come, come the end of the year. There's been a noteworthy lack of stories about Robinson's immaturity, too, which I think was something of a concern going into the year. We probably mentioned it when he got drafted was that he's a guy that didn't go to college. He's been known to maybe have a lax attitude about some things. We haven't heard anything about that in the NBA and Fisdell has made it a point to emphasize his strengths and talk about his personality and how he's been a joy to have and a joy to coach. So that's encouraging just in the sense of his development as a person, which was a priority for the Knicks from day one when they drafted him and as a player. So that's something that's good to see. And we'll, we'll keep an eye on Mitch 
down in the G League. When that echo next, let's talk about Kevin Knox. So last two struggling. games, he struggled from the floor. Six of 19, two of nine. He struggled from three in the preseason. He's three of 18 from three-point land, or three of 17, excuse me. So some struggles there. Uh, do we have any concerns? Do we think that we should maybe temper our expectations a bit? What are our feelings on Kevin Knox at the present moment? No concerns and also temper your expectations. That's the best That's way to put it. No, it's not no, 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 it's not really a cop out because it to me, him shooting he's not shooting well and he's turning the ball over pretty frequently. And to me, that's just Fisdale trotting him out the same way that they would have tried them out in, the, uh, in summer league In summer league. They just let him do anything. They just said, you know, be the ball handler, be the decision maker, try out a bunch of different stuff, do what you want to do, get it all out of your system. And it looks like they are taking that same approach in the preseason. And I feel like once the actual game start, I think he's still going to have a lot of freedom, but I think they're going to kind of keep him on a leash a little bit. And I brought it up on the last pod, but like one example of that was, you know, they kind of let him run free in the first half um, in that game against the Pelicans. Right. And he just stunk it up. Like, I think he was like two of eight shooting, a couple of turnovers, just really couldn't get it going. Second half, they're just like, okay, like you had your chance. Now we're going to run some sets. And then they try to run some sets to kind of reel it in a little bit. So to me, I'm not really concerned. Um, I don't I, know. I'm just not really concerned about it the at same all. Sentiments. Like, you know, I'm not concerned, but temper your expectations. It's like summer league, you know, he was killing in summer league and we were all hyped about him after the draft. Cause we're all hyped about all of our picks after the draft, especially if they're in the top 10. And, you know, we knew Knox was going to be a scorer and everything like that. And he hasn't been exactly that in preseason, but like summer league is when you get hyped up and we were supposed to be hyped during the summer. There's not much going on. Why not get super excited about it? And then preseason comes along and it's kind of like when you start coming back down to earth for that. And it's like preparation for the regular season because it's going to have its ups and downs right now. I think we're seeing a little bit of a down from Knox. He starts to get into the year and he's getting ready. He's getting prepared. And then, you know, even if it takes him a couple of weeks in the regular season to get himself going, he'll find his stride at some point. You know, he's 19. He's a rookie. It's the same thing. Everyone says you just got to give him time to learn how to create space for himself, how to breathe in there and, you know, let him shake a little bit of that. Uh, let him shake a little bit of that fear of coming into the league. And I think he's going to be just fine. I emphasize this when we watched Knox play in summer league. I just want to see an aggression level that is consistent and strong because it would happen at Kentucky. He'd have some games where he would kind of disappear. And that's happened to a, a minor extent. I think in New York, you know what, when I see a game on Friday against the Pelicans, he's six of 19, 32% shooting. He's got five turnovers, 12 points, 10 rebounds. You know what? My favorite part of that stat line is 19 shots. Let him take those shots. That's fine. I like to see that even in some other games, he has nine shots in two other games. Cool. Yeah. Sign me up for those. And the three point struggles are always going to be part of his repertoire this he, year. I, I said it back during draft period. He wasn't a good three point shooter at college. He wasn't awful, but he wasn't, he wasn't great. He was better in certain spot up scenarios than others. He's had some pull up threes, which are always going to be more difficult to hit. You're always going to come in at a lower clip shooting those. I have no problem with him. I haven't really had much of a problem with his shot selection, save for there are some opportunities where he just needs to take the ball to the hoop. I think I mentioned this when Kyle and I chatted for Monday's pod. 
you need to be able to get in a pick and roll scenario and feel strongly about your dribble where you can get to the hoop and finish over defenders, which we know he can finish over defenders. He's a tall guy. He doesn't have the confidence in that dribble yet. And we've seen that come to fruition with five turnovers in back-to-back games because we've seen him with a loose handle struggling to turn the corner and get the angle on players. So that's a priority for Fizdale and company. I think watching his games thus far is saying just be confident in your dribble. I think everything you're saying is is true. And it speaks to just one, like to wrap it all up. It's he's just got to get a little less nervous. Honestly, he starts learning how to play in this league a little bit more. He's, you know, he gets a better handle over his, his, uh, you know, he gets better control over his handle and he'll be able to start hitting those shots a little bit easier when he's got these bigger defenders in his face. You know, it's, I, I just think that it's going to take him some time to get adapted and he'll be just fine after that. I think he's scared to drive, yeah. to be honest with you. Because even in the summer league, he was having a lot of trouble because they started steering him left in the summer league. Like he couldn't even get to the right sometimes because they were, you know, making him go left. And then he couldn't finish because he was trying to fumble the ball back to his right hand. So I think that's part of what we're seeing too is like when he's coming around those screens, it doesn't look like he wants to be aggressive because he knows, oh, fuck, like what if they direct me left again? Like what if I'm in a position where I have to adjust? Like I think maybe he's in his own head about it. But I think that might be why he's lacking aggression, because this is better competition, clearly, than the Summer League. These are still some fringe guys that he's playing against, but obviously it's better than the Summer League. So that was something I thought about, too. I don't know how much truth there is to it, but it was something that I considered. It's not something he did especially well in college, so we shouldn't expect it to be something he does especially well in his first taste of NBA basketball. It's as simple as that. It's something he's going to have to work on. But the encouraging part, and when you're watching him play, we've seen him already in the preseason, have a couple nice finishes around the rim and his, his length and his size allow him once he gets inside to put the ball up and have special angles. And we've talked about his floater around the hoop, which is just gorgeous. And we're going to see plenty of that this year. It's one of his best weapons in his proverbial offensive toolbox. But with Knox, you want to see the kind of things around the hoop that he's shown just sprout up a little more often. That's all we ask. And for him to just be put in the perfect situations by the coaching staff, I'd love to see the three point shot be at, if he shoots 33% from three this year, I'd be ecstatic. I'd love that because there's plenty of room to grow from there, but I'm pessimistic about that being the case. Either way, this guy's going to score the basketball and, his rebounding numbers have been pretty darn good. And it's something that he did decently well in college too. So the Knicks can have another guy that can rebound the basketball to help out Cantor, which they're going to need without Porzingis, a notoriously average rebounder. So, With that being said, let's talk briefly about one Frankie Likina. So his play aside, we've seen the ups and downs from Frank. We saw him perform well in some games, and then he had some down moments. We know he's always bringing it on defense, but Ian Begley tweeted either yesterday or a couple days ago that Frank is the guy that teams ask about most when they call up the Knicks to talk about potential trades. And Frank can tend to be a polarizing player for Knicks fans. I think a lot of 
Knicks fans love him. And then there's the subsect of fans that aren't as crazy about him. I would say the majority enjoy him and want the Knicks to stick it out with him. I'm wondering to pose this question to you guys. If there's a deal right now in which you would trade Frank, if it was just for a kind of player, a budding young talent, that's nothing crazy. Basically, you can view the framework of a deal as that. And just as a general question, because I don't think the Knicks are going to look to move him, but sometimes you need to consider when something's brought to the table, what are you going to do when it's an option you think you have, have to Do think you have any about? particular so, name in mind when you say, like, a generally good player? No, I, I shouldn't pose it like that, because that's not how I want to talk about it. I just want to say, when we're talking about Frank Nilakina, how tightly should the Knicks be holding on to him is how I'll pose the question. So, Corbo, what do you think? Um, I, th- I think that he's the kind of prospect that you want to keep as close of an eye on as possible, uh, but you don't necessarily, like, he's not off the table. I think almost like a down-the-line comparison for the amount of talent that I see out of Frank Nielakina right now is maybe Josh Richardson, uh, where he's, you know, he's not there... Miami Heat doesn't have a superstar, right? And that's why there are all this talk around Jimmy Butler's going on and everything like that. And they don't really project to have a superstar. But you have a guy in Richardson who just came at at the end of his uh, rookie deal. You know, just ended. This was the... Did he sign his contract this past offseason or did he sign it the season before? I think it was last year. He's off a year one in that contract. He's a couple of years ahead of Frank. And he's not necessarily the same player. But the amount of impact I feel like he can have on a team is about that much, just in kind of different, different ways. If you kind of know what I mean, I'd, I'd mean to just purely assess the talent between the two of them. I, I think if you're going to get a prospect that amounts to something like that, then you probably don't move Frank. Cause I think I, that's what I see that Frank is. But you know, if you're getting somebody who is projects to be a little bit higher than that caliber of player, then you know, you maybe start thinking about some deals. Kyle, what do you think? I just feel like it's really, really tough with a guy like Frank because I feel as though, I mean, we see just just with Knicks fans, the way folks value him. Like some really value go, no, like he could be really versatile. He's shown flashes on offense with his playmaking. You know, maybe the shot will come down the line, but, you know, defense he's pretty elite at and he's only 19. And, you know, that gets you thinking, right? And then there's fans who go, Yes, but he didn't shoot well at all, and he averaged five points a game last year. So what are we really doing here? So I, I don't know where GMs are going to value him. Because I feel like the, the returns could be like a wide array is, I guess, what I'm struggling with. Like, I don't know what his actual market value would be. Because I've thought about it before, like, and I don't really know what like a good return would be for him. Because like for us, for the, our timeline, like we'd want young guys, right? But like if you get a guy like Josh Richardson who's just like on the upswing from developing, like that probably fits. That's that's a fair um that's a fair guy that you'd want to get, right? But I mean you wouldn't want to go too much older than that, right? Because then we're stuck in like the Tim Hardaway Jr. sort of uh entering their prime or in their prime guys. Like how do we really want to line this up? It's just I don't know. I I'm trying to think and I really don't have a good name. As a general comment, I could not agree more. I have no idea how teams outside the Knicks and in the NBA value this guy. I am completely baffled by what teams could call the Knicks and say, hey, we'll give you XXX player for Frank. I I think it's it's completely dry. 
I think it's. I think that they they understand where the Knicks are at right now too, because I think I think the sentiment kind of appeals to everyone, where he's like, look, he's a prospect that could amount to something that's pretty special and unique, but he could also amount to a perfectly average player as well. Uh, so I I think that if you're going to move on from Frank right now, everyone's trying to buy low on him. Yeah, but. They're not going to move on, but but, it, but this is a completely hypothetical discussion. Yeah, yeah. Just to be clear, just because I'm curious to see what you guys think and where we are it with just him. But I feel like that's why it's kind of hard to like find a clear rationale for it. You for know, sure. the context always matters, though, to which team is trading for him, right? Because, for example, if I would have told you when the Cavs traded for Timothy Mozgov that he would have netted you two first rounders, you probably would have laughed at that time, right? Like that would have seemed preposterous. The Mozgov at that time, who was a, a very fine role player at that time, right? But two firsts, two firsts seems preposterous, right? But for the Cavs, they needed that rim protection. They needed they needed Mozgov, so they gave up the two firsts willingly to do so. So it's like I don't know, like for so if there's another contending team and they need perimeter defense to to go up against the Warriors, do. Do we get a pretty damn good haul because they're desperate and they need a guy like Frank? They need that skill set, or is it another team like a Miami, let's say, right, who needs some cap relief? They're like, you know, we'll give you Josh Richardson, no big deal, and uh, they take a chance on a guy like Frank because they go, you know, we we developed one guy, we could do it again. But is it like what are they what are they looking for? I, I guess that's why I don't have an answer about who I'd want back in a trade because I'm more curious in how the league use him because we're already so divided amongst this fan base that it seems like I, I would imagine GM's got to be pretty split too. And I bet it's the type of thing where teams just call up and don't offer anyone specific. And they just say, Hey, we've noticed that you have a lot of other cards on this roster and you have some other young guys. Do you have any interest in trading Frank Lakina? Because Begley did make it clear that they've expressed no interest in moving Frank to this point. So it's a completely hypothetical scenario. I'm just curious where we all land because he's an interesting player with an interesting upside. And you wonder if he has another rough offensive view this year, if his numbers look similar to what they did last year, I'm curious to what the league will, will think of that and how they'll view him. But enough about that. Do you guys have any other thoughts about any players from the preseason on Monday? We saw Noah Vonley start, but he struggled, did not score. We saw his own at least show minor, Signs of life. We've talked I about some of the other back. youngsters. Go ahead, Corbo. What's uh, your number one? Is one is a player, and then two is kind of of the team as a whole. One uh, is Dotson. Beautiful. So I saw Damian Dotson trying to take the lead a lot out there for the first couple of times. It just wasn't always successful, uh, especially against Washington uh, this past game. There was there was moments where he was trying to lead, uh, you know, lead the pack, especially. Okay, well, this kind of leads into my second point too. So I want to talk about it as a whole. I thought against Washington and for a lot of the preseason, the Knicks have looked awake on defense, and it's paid off in a lot of moments. I don't know if I can necessarily call them their defense good or according to scheme, but they've been reading lanes well, and it's led to a lot of turnovers and a lot of playing in transition. And they've the mo the times when they've executed, I think they've done well. And a lot of the times I've seen Dotson in that kind of transition. And sometimes he's aggressive and trying to get to the rim and take a shot. And other times he's kind of trying to do like there was one fancy dish he tried to get off to. I think Hazonia at one point during the game that just like was completely or no, I think it might have been Knox and it was just completely bobbled 
but I, I've been seeing him being aggressive. I haven't, he's been shooting the three pretty well, but I haven't seen him be quite the catch and shoot player that he was last year. Um, I, but it's been with some mixed success. I guess I'm curious what you guys are making of Damian Dotson at this point after what has it been four or five preseason games? A lightly underwhelmed is the best way I could put it. Like that's the nicest thing you've ever said. Yeah. I, Cause the thing is I'm certainly disappointed, right? But for whatever reason, Maybe I, I don't know if it's just the way he moves or a shot mechanics, but like I still look at him and go, yeah, you know what? That's going to be an okay NBA player. Like I'm just not ready to throw in the towel yet. Despite we saw some struggles in the summer league, which to me are totally meaningless. And now I'm seeing in the preseason and then I'm thinking, you know what? Okay. But more so than that, what, what concerns me is the amount of burn he's getting like Courtney Lee's not even playing. Like there should be a bevy of minutes for him. And then we're seeing guys like Trier just kind of jumping him a little bit. And then I, again, I don't want to go nuts for Trier who we need more tape of. We need to see him more at this level before we really start saying uh, anything about him with confidence. But um, I don't, he's just disappointed me. Like we, we expected stuff from Dotson last year. He didn't get his fair shake. I, we all thought with Fizdale, he was going to get uh, a, a pretty nice bump in minutes. And to be or fair, at least he had a rookie and, year last year, it, and he was a rookie second round pick. Like you know, you don't always get minutes right. like that. And we, that's actually right. what which, we're looking for which more is this fair. year. It's just some veteran minutes. But but the reason why I guess that matters now is because in the preseason you'd expect him to get more of a more of a burn, and we're not really even seeing that. And that's what concerns me. It's sort of like the Moutier thing. Like Moutier seems to be on the outs. They gave him his chance to start. You know, he stunk it up, and then he didn't even play in the first He's half on Monday. He's been more successful, so, successful than Moody, I would say. But oh, well, yes, but that, that's a impossible. But I, I, I do think you know, that, like I do think that Dotson's like like you've done better than Moody this preseason. <laughs> I do think that Dotson is playing with a little bit more of a veteran mentality, though. Like he looks like he's trying to take some kind of a charge out there on the court, which is good. It just doesn't always work out well. And I will say, I like his shot yeah. selection, too. It's not like he's I like his shot selection. Like, I don't like even his passing when, so far, I guess, has been my gripe. Yeah, so, I mean, to me, he's he's doing all the right things, and the results just aren't there yet. So, I'm not... That's why I said politely underwhelmed. I'm nowhere close to giving up on the kid, but at some point in the next couple of weeks, you know, hopefully this last preseason game, and as the first week of the season gets by... Hopefully, we're we'll starting to see something out of him because uh, we, we need it. We need it now. The more threes he shoots, the better, as far as I'm concerned. So, yep. was, and, and he played 15 minutes on Monday. He took four shots. Three of them were threes. That's fine. He made one three. He's going to be a guy that they can have on the bench if he ends up carving out any minutes with this rotation to shoot some threes. And he's another guy. If this Courtney Lee thing ends up turning into something where whether this is a pseudo injury, whether it's an injury that compounds upon itself, whether they move him, those are a couple players you can target and say, if he's not there, it would only make sense that Dotson would end up getting some minutes at some point or else he's a guy that the Knicks are completely out on. And I, I mentioned this when we brought it up before, but he's not a guy that this regime drafted, so they don't have to be in on him. So he's a guy on the wing that if they haven't been really enamored with what he's brought to the table, they don't have much to lose if they don't like it. They don't, there's just not a lot for them 
to go from there. But, you know, other than that, you know, we, we've seen uh, some of the other guys. We saw Hicks and Cornette get some more burn. Oh. We'll probably see on Friday just a lot of bench warmer guys. I did have yeah. uh, a second point that I was talking about. Um, I kind of touched on it with Dotson, too. But as far as the team is concerned, how what do you guys think of their defense so far? I don't know about I I don't know what kind of like necessarily defensive schemes are running under Fisdale yet, but their ability to read lanes has been um, looking decent to me. What do you guys think? They've been pretty good. I mean, they've been fine. We shouldn't expect much well, from yeah, the team. I think that's when what you're I mean, like compared to expectations. Relatively, yeah, sure. Relatively, sure. They've been fine. I've been underwhelmed by Knox, but it's the same concerns I had going into the season because he gets blown by on dribble drives like it's nobody's business. And then he gives up about halfway down the lane. And you sure as hell know, and his canter is not there to protect the rim. So it's not the best remedy there. And when if the Knicks end up starting Trey Burke and Ennis Cantor and also have Tim Hardaway Jr. and Kevin Knox flanking, on the wings, that's a bad defensive lineup. It's poor a bad Lance, defense. Poor Lance Thomas, man. That's all I think about. Poor he's Lance. He, he's gonna he's gonna be switching and rotating out of his fucking ass, and it's not gonna matter because nobody else is helping or rotating or going where they're gonna go or going where they need to that go. I feel bad for that guy in that so lineup. So much effort this year. I just yes. He's had already four or five plays in the preseason where he either forced a shot clock violation or did his thing where he just wraps the guy around and he pokes the ball through the guy's legs. It goes out of bounds. He gets a couple of claps. He's been great in the preseason. Uh, I think I we've seen that. I pray that he stays healthy be because the- I just need that kind of consistency from somebody on a night to night. For sure. The, the bottom line with this Knicks defense is with the amount of minutes that Ennis Cantor is going to play, it's, it's so difficult to form a good defense around a center that isn't mobile and just gets decimated in the pick and roll, especially if he's playing his minutes with a guy like Trey Burke that is simply small and can't defend a lot of the, the bigger and faster point guards in the league because the Knicks employ a very conservative pick and roll strategy. Cantor is backing off. He's not attacking ball handlers because he can't because they would just take him off the dribble every single time. There are some darn good point guards in this league. And that's why we've expressed such love for Frank Nielakina because he's a guy that the Knicks can throw out there on a Kyrie Irving, a Damian Lillard, a Kyle Lowry, and say, this is a guy you need to lock down tonight. We He can't kill us. So go out there, make it hard, because our center's not helping us out at all. So yeah, this is no. a fact. The, the scheme they employ, it's not so going to happen. one preseason game left. What from any players from the team in general? What what's the thing you guys are looking for from the last game? It's Honest. a Knox bounce back. It's another game of not seeing a lot of Emmanuel Moutier. It's another game of just seeing what the the veterans do. I'd love to see Hazonia have a nice game, but again, I don't care. It's like I said with Frank in the summer league. He's played in the NBA. I don't really care what he does in the preseason. I've said it about Zonia and Cantor and Hardaway in the preseason because these guys have spent so much time already playing NBA basketball. I just don't really care much about what they're doing at this point. But Kyle, what else you got in mind? Honestly, I was very intrigued by Frank's last start. So I guess I guess I'm not really as concerned about the Knox thing in the preseason because 
if he's going, I mean, we knew he's going to take lumps this year anyway. So if he's going to take them a little bit earlier on in the preseason to get adjusted, to me, that's fine. Obviously, I'd like to see him turn it around, but it's not on the forefront. My big thing, and I think the state of the the Knicks fans, it's kind of on their head, uh, their minds too. It's the point guard situation where you kind of know Burke isn't the point guard of the future, but you're also not sure if Frank is. So you're very you're very torn because, like in the present, it does make sense to start. Uh, you know, Burke is probably going to have, or you'd hope he, you know, he's going to be the better offensive guy anyway. But um, you know, Frank in his last start had he played 17 minutes. You know, he had 10 points on four or seven shooting, one of two from deep, um, four rebounds, two assists, and obviously the five personal fouls wasn't great. But that's sort of what I'd like to see more. I mean, he rebounded pretty well. He was being a little bit more aggressive and scoring. And, you know, there was one one shot in particular where I felt like last year he would have passed up on it. I think it was one of his first. I think it was the only three he hit. And um it came off an offensive rebound and they just kicked it out to him. And I feel like last year we would have seen Frank kind of pull the ball back out and reset and slow things down. Cause he was timid, but he, they kicked it out to him and he's just like, well, fuck it. And he just shot the three and it was nice catch and shoot with that form that you're very high on Matt. And it dropped in. And it's like, there we go. Like for us to believe in him, it's like, that's what we want to see more of. So for me, I'm personally hoping they give him another start on Friday, and I'm personally hoping we see at least a repeat performance offensively. Like, give us double digits again. Give give me something else to look forward to, so that you can kind of build your case. Like, let's let's get those rumblings started up, uh, started back up again, so we can move on from this uh, Burke thing. I'd like to see Frank get that job like halfway through the year. Uh, it seems like a foregone conclusion that Burke's going to get it. But honestly, for me, it's pretty much just Frank. And maybe, maybe something for Mario Hazonia. Like, I'd like Mario to get going in this game, too. You know he's going to play a lot of minutes. We know he's going to be fun. He's going to fill that, like, Michael Beasley, J.R. Smith, number eight fun player that they have year after year. And he's very underwhelming through four games. So I'd like to see him do something in this last game to get going for the season. Trey Berkshire is hell ain't the point guard of the future. So why can't it be Frank? Yeah. Give him the opportunity. Does Frank Nielakina know that he can pump fake around the rim? Does he know this? His layups get blocked so often. He needs to really learn some anything around the rim where he can trick a defense into thinking he's doing something else. Because it feels like every time he goes up for a layup, that shot is just swatted all the all the freaking time. It's so frustrating. It's because he's he's not very athletic, and he's obviously not very long. Or he doesn't have a very big frame. So and he's not also very explosive, but he's crafty now. So you see when he scores a lot. Oh, we still love him. Like, we, we, we still, I, I, no, I enjoy Trey Burke, but you notice when he goes to finish, they look a lot, a lot of times when he does score, like they're really tough, fantastic finishes. But really, he has the lane and any normal NBA player would probably take that lane and make it a normal layup. But he has to do like a little side under scoop thing to really get the shot off to avoid it getting blocked. And I know, and I noticed it a lot this preseason. I know he did it a lot last year too, but it seems like there's more of it now. Maybe it's because he's looking for it, but he takes like a really weird angle to the hoop. Like he's never trying to go directly at the rim. It seems. And when he does, he gets blocked. Like you mentioned. So it seems like he's trying to go up and under to a degree, like watch it in this next game. Like he's very, he's very uh, particular about it is the best way to put it. And it's smart. That's what he should be doing. If he knows that, He's going to get a shot blocked. Like, that's what you should be doing if you have that angle. But, yeah, it's not it's not great. I kind of feel like he is who he is, but, you know, 
don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a tough finish for him. He's, he doesn't have the, the athleticism or the size to finish the way we'd like him to. Well, we'll see what they provide for us on Friday. The season kicks off a week from today, fellas. Damn. A week from today, we get real NBA regular season basketball. We'll be coming at you guys on Monday for a new episode with a, a nice look at some, I guess we'll give some predictions for this season. I'll make it general like that, and we'll be brainstorming, and we'll, we'll ask for some input from you guys. But, Kyle, what do we got to plug? Uh, right now, the TKW shop, everything is 30% oh, off. So, so we did a little, yeah, I mean, we just got our, our new newest merchandise for the season is the Mitchell Robinson shirt. It's it's like a shirt. Still new? I guess it's still our newest. It, it's still new. I mean, it's still the Robinson? preseason, so it, oh, you got to yeah, say thing, it's still that new. That thing is... Pfft. Lavinson's new. So, but, but it's nice. It looks like a jersey. Everybody loves jerseys. So go get that. It's great. Uh, I'm going to get a black long sleeve tee, I think. No, right, it's going to look really cool. Get it in cream. I got it in heather gray. It looks good. Get it in cream. Get I like the cream. cream. Holy. Cream at the nice vintage look. But, um, but yeah, so go get that. I mean, we also have the uh, Kevin Knox shirt that we put out in the summer after we drafted him. I'm the one who knocks. And, Obviously, you should be familiar with our work by now, but there's a ton of other great designs in there. So uh, go take a look. Everything's 30% off, I think, through the 14th. We've also so, got uh, plenty of content coming out for the season preview the last uh, last yep. couple of weeks. Um, we got pieces on Trey Burke out right now. We've got some, uh, we you know, got pieces against all the individual matchups in the division. Uh, yeah, tons of talented stuff. All of our writers always, you know, they're 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 bringing it from different angles. There's a lot to get to know about each one of them. Uh, so yeah, make sure you're reading at thenextwall.com too. And also, you guys may have noticed, but uh, we have some new graphics mm. going on that we're very happy about. Um, we uh, the guys doing the feature graphics for us right now is Ryan Gray, one of our newest additions, and that was the one. If you recall, is from the uniform contest in the uh, summertime. With it, where he had his subway design that ended up uh, winning the competition. So we're very happy about that and just other things that we're going to keep bringing you guys. So um, also make sure you follow us on Instagram. We finally get on there. So better late than never. But we're going to try to do a lot of the same things that we do on Twitter, but a little different spin on it. So follow yep. us over there shout too. Out, yeah, while we're shouting um, out Ryan, shout out to Eugene, shout out to Jess, two new members joined up with the yep. team this past weekend. Uh, Yep. Yeah, no, Very there's excited. just going to be some cool shit coming out soon. I'm, I'm stoked, man. Uh, season can't get here soon enough. One week, baby. One week. Plenty to look forward to. We got you guys covered until then. But we'll talk to you guys on Monday. Good night, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.